Welcome to Exit the Echo Chamber, Episode 1. A podcast powered by Six Tiles Media. My name is William Rhoda and I'll be your host. Today on the show, we're talking to Bryce Koch. Bryce is a registered nurse who founded a non-profit organization, Project Safe Audience. Project Safe Audience is a harm reduction initiative primarily known for its work in the Winnipeg rave scene. We're going to talk to Bryce about the work his initiative does, how it compares to other harm reduction initiatives in North America, and most importantly, what exactly is in that cocaine-looking stuff you've been sniffing lately? I need to keep it real with you guys. This is the first episode we recorded, and the sound quality isn't too shit hot. I did my best to clean it up in post, but it's still got some rough spots. Bear with me, our audio improves drastically by episode 3. And don't bail out on this episode either. I had a great conversation with Bryce and I've still got questions for him. If he's willing to give me the time, I'd like to have him on the show again sometime down the road. My cousin John Skeen was kind enough to let us record this episode at his condo. Shout out to Life of Kai. You'll actually hear John contribute to the conversation a few times toward the beginning of the episode. And then he slides out partway through without saying goodbye. Like a ninja. Anyway, enough of the jaw flapping. Let's get to it, shall we? Six don't get it confused. John, thanks for uh, joining me here. Uh, <laughs> uh, talk to me about your project, Bryce. Yeah, so I uh, about two years ago, I started a program with a friend of mine. Uh, we started a program called Project Safe Audience. We're a harm reduction initiative that targets high-risk behaviors in the rave uh, population here in Winnipeg. So essentially what we do is we go to these events. We uh, set up a booth. We give out free condoms, lube, earplugs. We test people's substances. We also are there on uh, on site to provide uh, sort of mental health assistance if anyone has any sort of crises or if they've taken too much of a substance and they're, you know, not fully with it. We okay. Can, we can intervene and sort of help that person uh, get a little bit more grasp of reality. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, we've been doing that for about two years so far. We're starting to make more connections within the harm reduction community um, and. With like locally within Winnipeg as well as abroad. So in addition, I also did train. I trained all of the sanctuary harm reduction staff and how to administer naloxone. And I've also uh, worked at a couple festivals across Canada, in harm reduction and medical capacity. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So was this your initiative yourself? Yeah, this was. This is. Uh, it was originally started by me and then my uh, a friend of mine who was in nursing with me, Joe. We uh, kind of both took it off the ground. It's kind of a funny story. We originally started off to get to shows for free. And then it started uh, becoming a bit more legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> a bit more legitimate, and like we started getting like funding. Like we got we got about fifteen hundred dollar grants from the uh, federal government, and okay, uh, and we're also we have um we have backing from a couple professional groups here in Winnipeg. So the Association of Registered Nurses of Manitoba has come out in support of us and has offered funding to us as well. So uh, okay, yeah, we're starting to starting to make some uh, splashes here. So we're pretty happy about that. So were those organizations supporting you out of the gate, or did they kind of have to see the work you're doing they first? They kind of have to see what we're doing. When we first right. started off there, like we we hit a lot of walls. Like our the original people, we tried to kind of give us a bit of funding as the University of Manitoba. So we actually met with some of their um, some of their people, and they were. Um, not really willing to deal with us right, right yeah. now. And that doesn't surprise me either. Like coming to uh, come into conversations like, hey, we want to go test people's drugs. Most most organizations are like, what, what the hell are you talking about? Right. Like, they I, don't do drugs. Yeah. yeah <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't do drugs at our parties. What are you talking about? 
Yeah, most people wanted to turn a blind eye to everything, but uh, but yeah. So that first meeting with the like with the university was a little disheartening, to be honest. Like it wasn't a it wasn't a great meeting with them, but uh, we stuck with it and found some uh, people who'd be a bit more supportive of our organization, which has helped us out quite a lot. Great. So when like out of the gate, then what would be like the first event you went to, or like how did you first break in? So our first event we did was uh, Truth and Stylist Beats over at that was two years ago. For, I think for a Halloween event at uh, Fempega, that Chinese food restaurant. Oh yeah, there, I'm, yeah. I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Chinese restaurant by day. <laughs> <laughs> Rave center by night. So yeah, that was uh, that was where our first uh, that was our first event that we did there. We had pretty. Uh, pretty small booster set up we had some uh, information from dance safe we had some condoms that we had picked up from uh street connections and that was about it oh we also had earplugs that's what we were giving at the start as well okay we didn't we weren't actually offering testing right out of the gates because we didn't have i, I had preliminary training in how to do testing but i wasn't very confident in doing it at a level that i feel comfortable doing it with my organization name under it yeah so for the first event we didn't do testing I think actually the first two events we didn't do testing until we met um, another person on our team named Jason. He uh, met us at one of the events, offered to help us out. He had done testing at Shambla, so he had great experiences in using these reagent testing kits and how what sort of reactions to look like. So after we got him on board, that's when we started doing the reagent testing from then on. Um, but yeah, those uh, the first two events were pretty pretty preliminary in what we had, and then we started getting uh, getting more support from other people, and we started getting sort of small donations at that point, which allowed us to grow. Yeah, that's great. That sounds super positive. So has testing like that been present in the rave scene for quite a while? Is it fairly new still? Reagent testing has been present for, ooh, I would say probably the last uh, 10 years or so. I'd, I'd say moving forward to the 1520 mark. Yeah, it's, it's, it became more prim- prevalent with safe dance for sure yeah yeah, yeah. dance safe down in the states first started so, yeah. yeah started doing that the, they started commercializing a lot they had a commercial kit test kit set up okay so this these sort of chemicals were used at sort of a law enforcement level and sort of a uh like industry chemical industry level but not really at a sort of a consumer level where people were using to test their drugs uh one of the doctors I work, so I in my professional career, I'm an ER nurse. Right. One of the doctors I work with actually used to do um, these, uh, used to work for the government to do uh, drug testing, but there was more of a um, like stuff coming across the border and like what mysterious powder, what is this? And give it to him <laughs> to kind of for like uh, to kind of test it for like prosecution sort of thing. So I actually yeah. talked to him about, hey, do you guys like these guys use reagents? And they're like, they like they said like for many many years so like 20 plus years they were using it at like a sort of a enforcement level but it's only in these last little while has it kind of moved over to the sort of consumer level that we're seeing now okay yeah. and have you had any pushback from like anybody that's against this in the community or? to be honest we've ha- we haven't had anyone like overtly push back at us we've had people who like kind of questioned us but sure. um that was really the biggest thing was at the start. We were getting venues that were kind of pushing back. They're like, hey, this is a little sketchy. Like, we can't do this on site. Mm-hmm. And we kind of just kept doing it. And yeah. then eventually they became comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we just, we, yeah, we kind of just kept doing it. And uh, eventually people just were like, okay, I guess this is what they're doing now. And they kind of accept that, accepted that. And once we started getting more professional support from these larger organizations, that's when it started. Um, started becoming easier for us to operate so we now i can i can come up to these um, uh, venues and say like i'm funded by the federal government and i have a professional backing as well like i'm not just i'm not some rando here with like trying to um 
kind of come into the scene like i've been involved in yeah for a long time and you've got some credentials yeah now. exactly exactly so it's not as sketchy for them and also there's been showing a lot of success across canada using these reader testing so i always come back to talking about shambla because that's like where i learned a lot of my harm reduction uh information from okay so because of the uh, success of their drug uh, checking systems there they've actually they had i think they had zero fentanyl show up at this last year or was it the year before that which is crazy and that one of the one of the reasons they think is that because they have these really expensive testing equipment on site. So people aren't going to cut their drugs. They know it's going to get caught like almost immediately. Right. Yeah. So these, uh, and so there's uh, in, anchors over in BC is pretty much the top of the line for drug testing. They have mass spectrum. Anchors? Mass, anchors. Yeah. Okay. A-N-K-O-R-S. Okay. They have a, uh, they have multiple mass spectrometers that are portable. So they can test for pretty much everything underneath the sun. With these reagent testings, there are some limitations, but with those things, there's really not too much limitations with those as well. Yeah. So that's pretty much bringing a lab to the event. Yeah, yeah, and that's essentially what they did. Like they, like it was when you walked in there, it was really well done, really well organized. They had those, <clears> they <throat> had the three uh, mass spectrometers, and then they had a ramen. It's called a ramen. Yeah, so it was like a handheld laser that, like it, it's good, but it's not test for MSG and yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah, no, it's uh, so they had that handheld system as well. Well, plus those uh, those really expensive mass spectrometers, which are really neat, and then a couple other organizations across Canada do reagent testing as well. So over in Toronto, it's uh, who's those guys again? That is Trip Project. Okay. So they do a lot of that. Um, there's Carmack in Vancouver. There is um, there's these other there's this other group in Alberta that's doing it as well. So it's really the sort of drug checking, drug checking, drug testing programs are starting to pop up across Canada, and we're we're the first out of here in Manitoba. Okay. It's, uh, that's pretty cool yeah it's, it's been uh, it's been pretty good watching you grow definitely so tell me about like you all these machines like right now i'm picturing you testing it's just like a george jetson machine <laughs> put a pill in and it's, it spits a receipt out to you or like what's it, what's the process like so for like those mass spectrometers <laughs> it's actually kind of close to that so like the stuff we do we do like it's reagent testing so essentially what we do is we have a um we use a liquid and we put it on the testing substance and it'll change color depending on what substance is present in okay that, uh in that mixture when it comes to those mass spectrometers and those more expensive machines, essentially it's this foot-by-foot foot machine, I would say, that has a steel plate on it and then has the thing they call an anvil, which is a point that squeezes the substance between a diode and the a light. It's like it's like a, a measuring diode and then a light-emitting diode, I think, or some, yep. it's a, some laser that they put on through it. And it, when it squeezes it together and they shoot that light through it, uh, it will actually uh, pick what was um, or pick and sort of have these. It's like a bar graph, not a bar graph, a line graph that shows you what sort of uh, chemicals are present in the substance. Really, it's yeah. it's not something. Like, if you looked, if you looked at what it was, like, if you looked at the end result of it, it wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to actually decipher it. Most people, you need sort of like unless a you're trained. Like yeah, I'm trying to find a photo here to kind of show you. And you know, that, that, the the mass spectrometer also tells them the level of dosage correct too to it or the the yeah. the, 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 the the it, ratio, I guess, closer to a little bit, a little bit. Like this is what comes out at the end there. So unless you know what you're okay, at, it's kind of like, yeah, that just looks like a heart meter to me. Like yeah, it's 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 so like if you don't have sort of training and how to use it, it's very it's impossible to tell what you have. Like because you're just looking at squiggle lines on a graph. But um, yeah, the sorry, what, what, you asked the question just before I kind of started. Oh no, I was uh, I was just saying that the, the it tells can tell the ratio. The, the oh ratio, yeah, like yeah, how, yeah. So, what kind of like level of like. Like how how heavy is it, or like it can it can kind you can tell sort of like it can tell purity to a point. Okay, that's yeah. what yeah. Yeah, it can tell it can tell purity. What they try not to talk too much about the purity of it when they do this, and that's 
even that's something we do in our, our drug checking as well. Is we don't talk Obviously. about purity. We're just we're just talk. What we're doing here is we're talking. Like, we detect the presence of this substance, and that's what they're doing over there. It's like we detect the presence of this substance. We can't tell you how pure it is or how not pure it is. That being said, they can see on the graph if the if the points are measuring up correctly. It kind of coincides with a higher level of purity, but they can't give you a sort of a specific purity, and that's mainly sort of like legal protection. For yeah. Well, so what is the thinking behind that? Like, so it's. <sighs> The thinking behind all of this is essentially um, we're really protecting when we like we one of the ways we kind of protect ourselves is by essentially stating no substance use is safe and that's just because yeah. the, that's just because of the nature. It's true. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, no. really the, <laughs> yeah so so play with fire idea. and yeah. Yeah, it's like because there's no control on how these substances are produced and it's 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 very it's sort of difficult to kind of even with all this really extensive technology to fi- find out what exactly is in your substance. Um, so one of the one of the crazy things I think I've heard about recently was with the uh, with meth being popular. There's a cutting agent. Uh, so normally when you when people cut meth, it's very difficult to kind of trick the end user that the, to the substance, and that's because if you produce meth, it should come out in a crystalline form. But if you try to cut it with something, it'll show up in a powdered form. So right. people who are buying it and they're like, "Hey, this is a powder. This is probably this isn't a pure substance yeah. because uh, meth mixed with anything else won't make these sort of crystalline structures." But now they're finding the cutting agent i think it was like it's a three-letter acronym like mgm or something like that that they've they found in some of the um the meth samples that they've had that there's it's showing up in these samples and it doesn't really it won't show up on our reagent testing it won't show up on even sort of that ramen tester it like it only started kind of showing up when you get these mass spectrometers sort of uh systems built into it so it's kind of crazy like these um it's um that's kind of shows that not not all substance uses safe even when we show on a reagent that this is the only substance we can see in, in this sample there still can be these cutting agents that uh, machines can check right so that's why we always have to say like this this uh um no substance use is safe and that protects uh make us from liability for saying like oh no like we tell you your substance is pure you're good to go but we don't we, we don't use like terminologies like that just to be able to protect yourself right and, nothing's 100 percent. yeah exactly exactly and that's just kind of a um that's just kind of a uh, side effect of us being in a prohibition sort of era when it comes to these sort of substances and yep. we've seen time time again that these sort of this sort of like prohibition of substances doesn't really work when we're looking back at like alcohol of prohibition of alcohol we started yep. seeing all these poor production of alcohol people were starting to go blind from uh, toxic alcohols and that was because we there wasn't sort of a uh, control or a sort of procedure of how to produce regulation yeah, yeah exactly exactly it was just sort of like willy-nilly right and so the same thing comes out with these uh these substances as well a, a great example of this is like pmma versus mdma yeah so when um sorry back up pm what PMMA. Okay. So it's a Piperzan analog. It's um, it's most commonly sold as uh, like ecstasy or um, or sort of like an MDMA knockoff. And essentially, like in a capsule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So like when people when people sell PMMA, they're selling it as like knockoff ecstasy. Or, right. Yeah. Knockoff MDMA. Um, the issue when it comes with PMMA is it really spikes people's temperature by a like a lot, and it, it has sort of this dysphoria effect as opposed to MDMA, which has like the euphoric effect. Right. So then people were always wondering, it's like why why were people why are people producing this like as like a fake knockoff? And what they found is that when um, labs are first sort of opening up, they want to test their synthesis without using the expensive products. Right. So 
PMMA and MDMA use the exact same synthesis process to get to the end result, but the starting synthesis for PMMA is much cheaper because the starting synthesis for MDMA is a saffron oil or saffron oil. Yep. And that's, it's, it's a well-controlled substance. Like it's, you can't really move it across the country without sort of flyers coming up. Yeah. But the starting process for PMMA is like, I think it's just like a generic industrial chemical that they use. Easily available. Yeah, exactly. So they can test their synthesis and then see if it comes out correctly as like PMMA. And usually what they'll do is they'll flip it after because they're like well we have all this like kilos of powder that's kind of like mdma but it's not really so they'll sell all that and so that's some of the like that's just some of the risks that that's side out. effects of prohibition yeah, yeah exactly, absolutely exactly that would never occur in a, and in a legalized mm -hmm. and are, is this showing up pmma present mixed with the mdma or just it's on not its own? really it's in this in the samples that i've i've heard of sort of popping up like it was a couple of five or six years ago, maybe seven, it was really popular on BC. Right. That's when um, anchors first started, like, or the uh, samples first started bringing all their, like, testing and all that stuff pretty heavily over there. And um, they, I think for most part, it was just showing up by itself. It wasn't really showing mixed in with anything, um, mainly because it wasn't, usually when this PMMA is produced, it's produced by itself. It's the person who's making this lab isn't producing MDMA and PMMA at the same time. Right. They do that PMMA synthesis first to make sure it works, and then they switch over to their more expensive product. Okay. That, that seemed to be more prevalent in like Alberta and Beasts has mm. seemed to have more problems with that you haven't seen any issues with that nothing, in Manitoba. Nothing here. I've heard, I've heard um, stories of people who've done testing here in Manitoba, just sort of on like one-to-one -one, and they've seen it like years ago, mm. but I, I personally have not seen it and neither as like, uh, neither has Shambhala in the last couple of years. Like it hasn't been That's really good. This is really dangerous. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Death, it's, it's caused multiple deaths across the world. Like I. Uh, there's been a, there's a, been a decent amount, especially in the states. They got hit pretty hard with that stuff. Really? Mm -hmm. What? Well, um, just going going back to that, we kind of skimmed over that. But like you were talk, we we're talking about spectrograph testing and spectrograph yeah. testing like that. But you have the reagent testing. Yeah. You kind of breeze over that. I think most people haven't been exposed to what that is. Sure. Yeah. Well, I can that. walk. I can walk through a little bit of the reagent. Please. Testing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So what we um, with the reagent testing, we use. I think it's like a 10 panel test that we're up to at this point. So these, these reagents are a little liquid that's in a dropper. And what we do is we make, um, we ask the person like, Hey, what did you, what did you buy? What did you, like, what do you think is the substance? And based on that, we can kind of decide which of the reagents we're going to be using. So we don't use all 11 for every single substance just because okay. it's pretty useless. Like there's, we have one that specifically is only for, um, drugs like LSD. So that one, like, it'll only really work with LSD. Like, if we, if we try to test it using, like, if it's MDMA, we're trying to use that, it, um, it won't actually come up as anything. So we, once we kind of figure out what they think the substance is, we can kind of decide which reagents we're going to use. So let's say the person thinks they bought MDMA. So for that one, we'd use the Marquee, the Mech, and the Mandolin. Okay. And also, uh, we use the Rotodope as well. And then I, that's usually about it. What we, oh, and we can also use the Simons as well to differentiate if it's between MDMA or MDA. So when we have those, we have those reagents, we'll put the substance in a uh, small pile. So it's like about a milligram of substance we actually need to test. So each test takes about a milligram of the substance. Okay. So you're not really losing a whole Yeah, not a much. Yeah. So for each of those tests, we need like one milligram each for each test. We take that dropper, we put, we drop it in some liquid. And then over the course of between 30 seconds and about five minutes, that liquid will start changing color to, depending on what is present in that reagent. Right. So the marquee, the mech and the mandolin, if it shows positive for MDMA, will show up as like a purple to a black, a green to a black, or like you're looking for black or dark colors. Right. And that stuff. if you see it change any other color, most likely you have something else in the reagent. And then we, uh, or something else in the substance, which it's, uh, it, 
comes pretty popular like uh, especially with cocaine like we have not seen a single pure cocaine test in the last two years every single one that we have gotten either test positive for meth or something we can't figure out what it is like really yeah so is cocaine present in these tests or they're just something altogether <laughs> different we, honestly like we can't we like the ones the ones so we were at a recent music festival <laughs> and like we at this music festival we didn't get a single positive cocaine test like we didn't see in any of our reagents in any of the tests we did it all just came back as meth like we no kidding this is all people that think they're buying yeah that's sort of funny sort of awful like plus it shows why we're in a why why we're having a problem yeah yeah it was, absolutely and it was kind of unfortunate we had one person come in and they're like yeah i got this for my friends he says like the best the best cookies ever had and i'm like okay yeah sure test it up and it's, it's math and he's like okay okay i'm gonna go back i'll get this other dude he says he has some good stuff too goes it goes buys from the other dude comes back and tests it's like yeah it's meth again <laughs> like i don't know really <laughs> and this is like and this um this this isn't sort of just strictly to manitoba i believe saskatchewan is also having a bit of a crisis for meth crisis as well because we had at this festival we had a couple people coming from saskatchewan as well and they brought some cocaine with them as well and all the same story was meth as well and, really yeah huh so that sounds pretty epidemic almost like. yeah and like you know like when like, we had that big sort of push for the fentanyl and the opiates sort of yeah here in manitoba but to be honest we didn't see the same sort of deaths and stuff as bc did like no we, not even close right? yeah and yeah. like we like right at the sort of peak of the sort of fentanyl crisis uh we weren't seeing a whole lot of people coming in like so i've been working as an ear nurse for about a year and a half we even since the start of that, I have always had more meth patients than sort of opiate overdose patients. Okay. Me. Like it's been. And yeah. so he's like, not everyone listening to this podcast is going to have exposure to like these kind of, these kind of issues <laughs> in, in harm reduction mm -hmm. or cultural. Why is that alarming? Um, so it's, it's sort of like why we're seeing, like why is it alarming that we're seeing more meth patients? Or? Yeah, like, what, why, is, why is it these like, these things? Some, some might not know like some, some might go oh okay well people are doing m or math is drugs is drugs right yeah okay why why is why is it why is it so alarming that this this very this the drug such as math is being shown up sure, sure. Like, it has a pretty strong neurotoxic component to it so frequent uh, people who frequently use uh methamphetamines will actually start noticing some cognitive changes and what thing we're, we're noticing especially in the medical field is people are starting to come in with these sort of um mental health crises and they and we're seeing that they're kind of directly uh pointing to the to uh, meth use so one of the one of the things that we started noticing we're seeing a lot more of this meth induced psychosis so people right. will come in currently high and we'll um we'll get some sedation on board and we'll relax them out and then by the time the meth should be out of their system they are still psychotic like they're still rambling they're still like hallucinating and, and really based on how long meth stays in your body that it should be clear out of their body but they're still having these sort of psychotic symptoms so and we're seeing we're seeing this sort of time and time again like i in the last i think in the last like week or so i've had at least two patients in, in my er that we've had meth induced psychosis in this and we're one of the like we see a decent amount of people in the er i work at but like, yeah. we're not that we're not the biggest er by any means so it's 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 interesting that we're seeing all these sort of mental health crises come with meth and we're also seeing sort of this Sadly, we're seeing an increase in aggression with uh, some people. We've probably heard like the news stories of, of uh, security guards being stabbed with needles. Yeah. Uh, there was a recent one put out by the Manitoba Nurses Union that was stating that uh, violence against nurses has increased. And they're saying that it might be related to this sort of increase in meth. Yeah. There's a recent article about a nurse getting punched by someone who might have been intoxicated with meth. And violence in the city in general, I think, has been ramping a big time. Oh, yeah. But... Bike theft has been increasing quite yeah. a lot. And it's, and it's, I like, it's, it's kind of unfortunate because um, 
it's you know it's it's Winnipeg. I don't want people to be more violent, but we definitely are seeing sort of increasing aggression. And when it comes to people who are intoxicated on meth, they can be sort of unpredictable. And like I'm, I'm personally curious about M or what's M. Like, do you how often does somebody come in? It's like, oh, this is pure unadulterated disco shit. Like, or you find a lot of different things in capitals passed off as M. Well, to be honest with you, when it comes to MDMA, we've actually been it's actually been pretty. Uh, pretty uh well i don't want to say pure but it's pre- it's been pretty consistent with what we're seeing like most of the mdma that we we see here in winnipeg is coming back positive for mdma or an mdma like substance we're not really like we're not we're not seeing too many of the weird sort of research chemicals that being said at one of the major festivals here in winnipeg we actually did detect um two uh, two, two pills of um of substances that were sold as mdma that actually came back as bk-mdma which is also known as methylone Okay. Um, so that's classified as a research chemical. It's not. It's been on the market maybe for the last five, seven years. It's sort of brand new. It's. It was. Um, it was so brand new that for about up until about last year, two years ago, it was still legal. Like you could sell it, and it, had, it mimicked the effects of MDMA, but it also had. It also caused these sort of weird reactions, and there was some. Uh, there was some deaths that thought to be caused because of BK MDMA down in the states. So when we saw that, that was pretty interesting for us because that was one of the first no times we actually saw a uh, substance other than MDMA show up on our test when people are testing for MDMA. So it kind of shows that there are sort of sketchy research chemicals on the market here um, that um, you know that uh, show up in the Winnipeg sort of supply chain, especially at these large festivals when people um, when people sort of buy their substances on site, they have a there's a much higher chance that they're going to be cut with something. It's, yeah, it's just because there's it's just the opportunity of not being like not having to see the dealer again, so they can just sell you whatever they want. Yeah, it's not an established it. client relationship, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. So it's it's you kind of want to like what I always tell people you kind of want to establish sort of trust with the person you're buying from because they literally like they they have your life in their hands. Like they're yeah. trusting that whatever they're giving you isn't going to kill you, and that I. Like, I've talked to people about that and they're kind of like, oh, all these substances won't kill you. But in fact, like there has been incidences where this has happened. There was, um, there was a research chemical being sold in the States for a little while there as these sort of, um, so for a while, like the United States and Canada had this issue for a while that they were selling these research chemicals over the counter in stores and they were cut with a lot of weird stuff. Like, I'm not sure if you ever heard of that dude in the States who bit the face off of another guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all heard about that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that substance was actually purchased at a store, like, and purchased legally. Of uh, the the substance that he was on was something called MDPV, and it was sold. I think it was sold as it was a brand name of Cloud Nine. I think it was called. It was sold as I think as plant food. Okay, it's, it's not plant food. Like people are just taking to ingest it. Yeah. Um. But so these um, down in the states, there was this one pressed pill that was being sold, and it was it was being sold at retailers, and I can't remember. I think they sold it as plant food or something ridiculous like that. And the chemical in there, it caused sort of similar to MDMA effects, but what it did it by uh, essentially burning out your dopamine receptors. Yeah. So the chemical that they were using is actually used in labs to uh, mimic Parkinson's syndromes. So it actually, my, my Parkinson's is thought to be caused by a sort of dysregulation of your dopamine receptors in your, okay. body, in your brain. So essentially this chemical gave people the MDMA and all these sort of like stimulating effects by frying their dopamine system. And then after taking the substance maybe once or twice, they were starting to notice Parkinson's symptoms and those were permanent. Like these, yeah. so they're starting to get the shakes, they're starting to get more confused. That's terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's why I always like try to tell people like, you know, like you don't, you really don't know what's in your substance. Like you don't, I, I if uh, they shouldn't be trusting their uh, dealers to tell them what's in their substance. They should be doing their own yeah. research and doing their own testing because who, like, who knows what the hell. And I mean, you got to think, I, 
probably 95 times out of 100 the dealer's just believing what his dealer's telling him <laughs> exactly. in the first place that right so, yeah a game of telephone oh, yeah. yeah yeah and that's even like popular with like cocaine like by the time it gets from it gets from you know the uh south america up to here it's been cut, sure like, yeah every state knows? it goes yeah. up right yeah. <laughs> yeah who knows how many times it's been cut by the time it gets here so when you say that drug was sold in retailers you mean like head shops or just like yeah. walmart or well like... mostly like mostly head shops i don't think okay walmart yeah <laughs> got, got involved in that like thing. no no one was actually buying it as plant food is what i'm saying like yeah, there's no, one, no, no secret what it's for yeah yeah essentially it was, it was essentially a way to kind of get around some of the laws right so when you sell something for human consumption it has to go through sort of like i guess fda approval and all that if you're selling plant food, like who regulates plant food? Yeah. See, I'm thinking of my wires crossed. I think I was thinking of the whole bath salts thing when you brought that up. Yeah, like, and that's that's essentially what it is. That's, okay. Like, that's what these sort of like research chemicals are kind of caught. Like, there's been a couple sort of um, names for them over the years. Ones I there's a couple names for these sort of classification of these new drugs. So there's research chemicals is what it's been historically known as. It's yep. been known as bath salts. So people have been selling this stuff as bath salts. And also the sort of technical name for all this is, is a technical name for all this is called novel psyche uh novel psyche uh psychoactive substances or nps novel psychoactive substances yeah, so i can't wait to say that in a conversation like i know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly so those are all the the two cis and yeah, the okay CIs. yeah that's those funny are, so the two c series is starting to move to more of a legitimate because they've been on the market for a pretty significant amount of time yeah but when it comes to these sort of novel psychoactive substances that's like your form neo pcp your uh eth LAD yeah. or 1P LSD and all the other alphabets. I always yeah, refer to them as R2D2s and C3PO. <laughs> I, I mean, you just kind of call them alphabet soup because that's essentially what it is. Especially yeah. If you, especially if you look at like the synthetic cannabinoids, like the fake pot that's yeah. been sold in there, it's literally alphabet soup. Like, I think there's like one, it's like AMF FUBINCA. Forget about actual, it, right? Like, the actual chemical name. For yeah. It. Just like, what the hell is this? Like, so, how many people actually recognize these for what they are? They're just incorporated into, you know, sold under a more popular name of a drug. Like, if someone takes a substance, they it would be very difficult for them to differentiate these effects from actual, um, from like the historically illicit drugs. So, like, if you took BKMDMA and you took MDMA. It would be very difficult to tell the difference. There are some like minute differences between the two, um, and uh, BKMDMA is thought to be less stimulating and more, um, more less stimulating and a bit less lovey-dovey than compared to MDMA. But like for the average user, they wouldn't be able to sort of tell right. the difference. But then if we look at some other substances, let's say let's compare LSD and twenty-five IM bomb. So twenty-five okay. IM bomb is classified as a psychoactive amphetamine. Well, LSD is just like classified as like a, as a like classic uh, psychedelic. It's um, yeah based off of ergot and yada yada yada. But, the Beatles did it that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when but those two like so uh, twenty-five IM bomb has been sold as as fake LSD. The, uh, so there's some big differences between the two. So like LSD lasts about 12 hours, while BK or sorry, not like two CI or two C uh, 25I N bomb would last about sort of four to or sorry six to eight hours. Okay. There's a less length of time. LSD sort of has this sort of like mind effect to it. So like people will get more confused with it. They'll have more of a headspace things. When it comes to 25I N bomb, they don't have any much of that headspace. They just have all visual effects. Okay. And so that's how it was kind of sold as fake LSD because people would get those visual effects with both drugs. They're like, oh yeah, this is LSD. Yeah. The only difference is with there's a couple of differences, but with 25 IM bomb, there has been a decent amount of deaths associated with it. 
So because it's an amphetamine or a, psycho, a psycho, psychedelic amphetamine, it causes something called peripheral vasoconstriction. So it locks down your uh, blood vessels in your peripherals, so in your arms and legs. No shit. And then um, what they what they have seen is that high end overdoses, they've either these individuals have either died or they've had limbs uh, amputated because essentially their peripheral locks down so much that they can't get blood circulation to those limbs anymore and they've lost limbs because of this substance yeah yeah the the side the sort of the the side of all these cut chemicals is pretty dark like um there's been some there's been some ridiculous stuff that has been sold as uh fake drugs over the years and 25 the 25 in bombs and the 25 x series of substances have been pretty uh have been pretty nefarious for being uh, quite toxic and quite uh, lethal. Wow, that's some really scary stuff. <laughs> yeah, like I did it's that. A scary world. <laughs> it's a scary world for people who take substances. Like this is not a. It's this is not a safe environment or safe sort of situation where all like that all these individuals yeah like it's it's very unfortunate too because it's these people are just here to try you know have some fun and everything yeah so is this a big i guess motivation behind your movement kind of is this you know some sort of a line of defense for people yeah i want like so before i started like the harm reduction program i was doing sort of harm reduction in sort of a uh, personal capacity with my friends so and if we can just back a little further up just because you mentioned you know getting the free shows and stuff like you kind of came from the race scene yourself yeah yeah okay so you're personally invested as well right yeah. yeah Yeah, I've been going to these events for, um, I think the first event I went to was uh, Mac the Alien show, and that was probably 10-ish years ago, I'd say. So you're held at this point. Yeah, yeah. I've been going to these events for a little while there, and um, but like uh, when I first started going to the events, friends of mine started getting involved in uh, taking different substances, and I was going through my paramedic school at that time. So they were yeah. asking me, it's like, hey, what should I know about this? It's like... And I was like, I don't know, let me Google this and find out right. what to do. And then I started researching more, and I was like, I was like, this is actually kind of cool. All this sort of research, and I started discovering uh, organization like Maps. So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. As those uh, psychedelic researchers down the states, I got more into this sort of like, okay, how to protect people. And that was when I got um, involved in sort of teaching people about taking uh, supplements before taking a uh, before taking MDMA. Okay. And so I started researching about that and figuring out the dosages. And I was... Uh, well, what, what kind, well, let's, let's come over that. Like, what kind of uh, supplements? Sure. So there's a couple of different ones. Um, see if I can remember. I have a list at home. See if I can remember off the top of my head. Um, there was like... what Some of them was like... There's one was like vitamin C, which lowers down some of the neurotoxic effects. There was grape seed extract, which lowers uh, free radicals in your brain, which is one of the reasons... like. One of the thoughts of why um, why MDMA causes sort of a minor neurotoxic effect is due to free radicals. There was also what other ones were in there? There was a list of about ten supplements that you could take either before, during, or after right. your uh, role to kind of help protect against some neurotoxic effects. And so, like uh, one sort of case study thing that I have, yeah, there. Actually, this is from. There we go. Yeah, this was um, this. I so I'm holding this pamphlet here. We actually, uh, my organization produced this pamphlet about the different things you can take to supplement your role for M, uh, MDMA. Here, I can go through some. Oh, of the great! Stuff and this you'd probably have to hand out at events and stuff oh, to yeah, people. Oh yeah, we did. We we've had them out at a couple of events. We brought these to Shambhala and handed a bunch of people out. Awesome. So yeah, the ones that I we have here is like there's a substance called ALA. There's another one called ALCAR. There's vitamin C, uh, green tea extract. Uh, grapeseed extract magnesium <coughs> and melatonin those are the big ones that we sort of recommend okay I have a look there. so that was kind of the original thing that got me into harm reduction is when i started researching these supplements that people could take to kind of prevent against some of the neurotoxic effects and some of the hangover yeah so um sort of like a kind of a case study type thing within my uh 
within my group of friends, we've um, a couple of the individuals have taken MDMA before, but haven't taken it with supplements. And every time they've taken it before without supplements, they're noticing that they're depressed after, they're tired, they're yeah. strung out. And after sort of I don't really know, terrible Tuesdays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Suicide Tuesdays, everything. Yeah. Yeah, all the names for all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so when I sort of like started talking to them about this, I got them the supplements and they tried it out and they started noticing they were like less depressed the next day. They had more energy the next day. They had less of a headache. And so I strongly believe that's because they're sort of protecting their brain a little bit more. Yeah. Like it or not, MDMA is slightly neurotoxic. Like it does, it does, it has been shown in studies to kind of decrease the um, neuron density in some places in the brain, which can lead to sort of, you know, long-standing issues. And I'm pretty sure everyone has met the, the some individuals who've been taking MDMA bi-weekly for years. Sure, totally. They're a little, a little bit off. Yeah, everything. absolutely. And so it's, 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 a, MDMA is a pretty safe substance, but it's, you kind of got to protect yourself. You can't take it pretty much. So these, all the time. yeah, these are the steps you can take to try to keep yourself healthy if you're going to do it. Exactly, that's the whole basis behind harm reduction. Like you know, you're going to take the substance. You know, you don't want to stop taking the substance. So let's make it as safe as possible, so you can continue enjoying your substances for as long as possible. And that's uh, yeah, that's sort of the basis behind our organization is we're trying to you know we 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 know these people are going to be taking this. And cool. We're not, we're not here to tell them like to stop taking them. We're here to you know tell help them. them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Here's a safe way to do it. You know, like you yeah. Don't have to... If you're going to do it, do it right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's like it's it's kind of unfortunate when I sort of people sort of uh, don't take care of themselves when it comes to these substances. Like, so I'm not sure if you uh, follow what happened at Lost Lands this year. Uh, no. So Lost Lands was a music festival down in the states run by a DJ named Excision. So okay. He's a big dubstep yep. based DJ. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. So he hosted a festival down in the states, and they actually had uh, two deaths at their music festival. Oh, One no. was related to a cardiac condition. This person didn't know they had, and they had taken a substance, and it caused them to have a heart attack and pass away. And the other one, uh, they're still running um, sort of toxicology reports on him, but uh, this individual also died uh, to thought be due to related to substance-related issues. And one of, one of the issues I kind of see with that is I think it's related to the um, lack of good harm reduction at that festival. So Dance Safe, that organization we're talking about, yep. that's testing, they were present on site, but they weren't allowed on site, so they had to be they had to set up their booth outside of the venue which means that people would have to take their substances outside of the venue, risk being searched, during right. event, get it tested, and then bring it back, back inside, in. also being risked being yeah. searched at that time. Conspicuously so, going in and out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then so also there's another organization on site called Bunk Police. And then they Bunk Police is a bit more um, – they're a bit more uh, risky when it when they come. Not really like their practices aren't risky, but they take more risks with getting drug testing on site. And I, I they should be commemorated for that because what they do is they they don't, they don't care if a festival tells them no. Right. They'll just go to the festival and they'll they'll run it in the campgrounds. And yeah. Just like they'll set up a booth. They'll get shut down. They'll move some across. Guerrilla style. Yeah. 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 I think the guy got. I think the guy who ran it got kicked out like three times or something. Really? Of course, the festival <laughs> kept going back in. Good for them though. Like, yeah, if like, you believe in it, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. So they, but yeah, they. I think. Uh, I think honestly, these deaths are you know related to the fact that they didn't have easy access to this sort of um, these testings on like on site. It was sort of off site and off like it wasn't really fully embraced. And I can kind of see why that sort of happened in the states. They have something called the RAID Act. And the RAID okay. Act is this law that's in place that states if you are in any which way running a rave or rave-like event, you can have your insurance pulled. And that can that can be interpreted in so many ways. So festivals have actually been banning finger lights because having finger lights can be associated with a rave. Really? Yeah, they've been banning glow sticks because glow sticks are associated oh, no. with raves. So all these festivals are trying their best to be like, no, we are not a rave. We are not. We don't have substances on site when it's 
100% obvious that this yeah. is a rave and there is 100% substances on site. Um, so it kind of makes these festivals sort of um, apprehensive about putting these uh, testing sites on board. And not only like will they get their insurance pulled, but I think there's like there's like a part of the law that says anyone who uh, assists in raves can be charged with every single drug offense found on site. So so if you threw the rave, you're, you're picking up every charge that happens. Every there. charge. Is wow. Happens. So if they do a large bust and they find like you know some guy's been selling like a ridiculous amount, you get charged for that. Not and the individual also gets charged, but like the organization gets charged as well, which is ridiculous and a huge risk yeah for people running events down in the states so what about like larger festivals down there ultra edc that sort of thing are they happening these programs like that there mm, i have to see i got a case of case basis i think edc has a harm reduction team i don't think they have testing on board okay ultra i don't think has either i don't think they have drug testing or any sort of harm reduction program uh lightning in a bottle down in the states has it okay um uh electric forest has it as well where they have drug testing as well as uh, harm reduction programs. And those are the ones I can kind of think off the top of my head. When it comes to these sort of uh, really big harm reduction movements, you're only going to see that in Canada, really. You're going to see it in Canada and a bit in uh, Europe and uh, I think it's is it Brazil. There's uh, And there's a company called Energy Control. And I can't remember if it's Brazil or some it's another country sort of uh, like there. But they have like a mass spectrometer in the back of a van run they run some pretty high-end drug checking on site with them and cool they're actually an organization that will allow you to send their substance you send your substance to them and they will actually tell you what it's in it and they will use their full mass box like their full lab to find yeah. out what it is and for like a charge like i think they charge like 50 bucks a pill or something like that and you can kind of tell what's in it that's cool mm -hmm. and so what do you see like uh, at the events that you guys are working are you, how, how are the like the attendees responding are you guys busy like people oh, yeah. lining we're, up or yeah we're, we're pretty busy when it comes to our when it comes to our drug checking um we we've it's just sort of it's people are starting to trust us a lot more yeah so one thing we noticed at one of the large festivals here in winnipeg and it's like it, we consider one of winnipeg's largest festivals people weren't really trusting that we were there people thought we were right. like police honeypots or something yeah like yeah that. and it was it was kind of funny like it's like we're <laughs> people, like no like i mean like i'm just here like here come look you can see what's back here like we don't have any police hanging out around here and actually kind of helps out that event that we ran we actually had one of our er doctors at so we okay to check what we had so it was nice to have him on he was like saying like no like, these are all nurses like yeah I'm yeah doctors. like we're not yeah we're not here to kind of trap you here's we're, my diploma yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> you know? like i'm not with the police here this is and so that was our big barrier for care was people thinking that we were um here to trap people but as you build a relationship and trust with the community yeah. you get that's great about better so like sort of the more underground scene we're pretty well established and well trusted most of the sort of um lesser known events we've been working with for quite a while and they know it pretty well it's now we're now it's just trying to move into the mainstream so that that big festival that we did that was probably our first like big jump into the uh mainstream festival ring and that one, man, we actually had a lot of people come in to uh, drug check with us. And yeah. A lot of first-time people, too. Like, we'll, we have people who will come to us every single event. And, like, they'll just, like, they, we know them. They will come, like, right, right as soon yeah. as we start there, get their stuff tested, and go on their day, which is First great. step. Yeah, that's yeah. the way, I guess, they should work, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They'll come grab some earplugs from us, grab some condoms, grab some literature, and they'll go a bucks a day. And, like, hey, we know, we know them right well and everything. That's yeah. kind of the relationship we want to build is, like, we are a – we are a community-driven force. We are a sort of a peer support group. Like, we're not an outside force coming to try to help people out here. We've been involved in the scene a while. So we're just trying to build up that sort of um, 
uh, trust with the community at this point because yeah. we are new, but we have been a part of this community for quite a while. Yeah, I think I know where you meant it. I saw you guys set up there, and I didn't notice when I went by. It seemed like, uh, you know, not like a dark and ominous place. Like seemed pretty happy. And, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like... And that's the thing we're trying to try to we're trying to do is we were trying to kind of uh, show that we are here to help out. And we had like at that event, we had people who were specifically designated for helping people who were having mental health crises or something right. we call a psychedelic crisis. So we've had we had a couple of our members who were um, pretty much doing one on one care with uh, individuals for like a good hour or two. I think one exact like one specific situation where this one individual had taken a ridiculous dose of shrooms for their first time. I think they had taken something like six grams for their first first yeah. ever shroom. And for people who don't know dosages of shrooms, that's a pretty <laughs> significant. In for a dollar, in for a dime, I guess that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. So for most like most people, like like when I show when people take shrooms, I try to recommend to tell them like maybe like one to 1.5 grams is their first dose just to kind of put the yeah feet get your water. feet wet yeah, totally yeah right but this individual decided to take six right off the bat so he was quite uh out to lunch so one of our one of our team members actually spent a majority of the time at the festival with that person helping them calm them down because they were they were pretty close to being having to be taken to medical because of how worked up they yeah were. so that's one of the things we we try to prevent too is we try to prevent as much as we can of having to access the medical program so at that festival we were at, there was a medical uh, medical area, and we we tried our best to um, you know try to uh, limit the amount of people that went there to try to be able to sort of provide care so that they don't have to do as much work for as many people. As yeah, you exactly. Could. And that's the whole point of harm reduction. Like we yeah. want to prevent, we, not so much prevent, but we want to lower the amount of people that need to access medical resources because it's like for non medical reasons. Because a lot of people who come who take these substances and they sort of have these panic attacks but medically they're fine they're just freaking out yeah so what they they don't need sort of medications to treat this they just need someone to talk with them and sort of who knows how these substances work and how to sort of talk them through the uh the situation that they got themselves in yeah yeah so um so is that like the biggest thing people are coming to you guys for is to get their stuff tested or is it for the one-on-one care or the, the earplugs biggest, and condoms the biggest or? thing people usually come there for is the earplugs and condoms illusion that's okay the thing there the next step would be the uh would be sort of the uh, counseling, not really, not really counseling as opposed to like not mental health counseling, but sort of like drug counseling. So they'll have questions, those specific questions about chemicals that they ingested okay. or plan to ingest. And um, we have a pretty, we have a pretty strong um, knowledge base when it comes to these sort of substances. Like I've, yeah. been, I've been researching these substances for years. I've taken multiple courses in university for substance for these substances. Right. I've gone to conferences about these. Substances. So I, I have a pretty strong. You're well versed. Uh, versed in it. There's been, there's another two members on our team who are also uh, as equally versed in substances as I am. And so we kind of offer these sort of like one-on-one discussions of uh, what these, how these substances sort of feel on the body, what some stuff you should know about them. Um, so that'd be probably the most set, the second most access resource that we have. And then after that would be the drug checking. So that'd probably be, right. that'd be next. We wish people came to us more for drug checking because we, I want to get more data. Like it's yeah. the data we're getting from it's really cool. Do you think it's still a bit of a leap for a lot of people? Like one thing to ask a question, but another thing to actually take it out of their pocket and yeah, hand it to yeah, you? Yeah. yeah. It's because at that point, that's when they're like, they're trusting us that they, like they, that we're trusting, we have a trusting relationship that we're not going to report them. And You're I one of the good guys. Yeah. yeah. I understand that like, people are pretty nervous about this. Like, it's yeah. like, Oh, like retesting substances, like it's kind of, it makes people pretty nervous. But um, we're glad that the community is sort of starting to open up a little bit more to us. And then, yeah, and then our last most access resource would be a sort of our emergency sort of care. So that'd be the one-on-one care or medical care. And that we've luckily had in this summer, we had probably about 
at all the festivals we went to, we probably had about, and we're not counting Shambhala because that throws all right. the numbers off. But all of them aside from, we probably had about, um, we had about five people that we had to do sort of one-on-one uh, psychedelic crisis intervention. Yeah. And then we had, I we had two that I'm classified as like full medical emergency. Okay. Um, yeah, like we, yeah, we had some, uh, we had some interesting situations at one of the festivals there and we had to, um, I had to monitor a person for a little while there and I was like right on the edge of like calling an ambulance. Yeah. Like, oh, kind of like, teetering. Yeah. Cause like I have, I have good training and I have a lot of supplies with me, but what I, I'm limited. Like, Hey, if you give me an ER and like I could, Hey, I could, no problem. I could easily, easily run, like, uh, hook these people up to cardiac monitoring, keep my eye on them. Yeah. But you don't have that full apparatus. I don't have that. Yeah. Essentially I have my, my more sort of trauma kit that I have. I have my, uh, vital signs monitoring equipments and that's about it i don't have any sort of advanced cardiac equipment so yeah but luckily it never that we so so those two medical emergencies we were able to sort of deal with it on site and we didn't have to transport these people out okay nice so in the last two years i guess you said about two years we're doing this now yeah have you seen any uh like a shift in the sort of drugs people are using or yeah we have we've been seeing a decent amount we're starting to see a more increase in ketamine use so ketamine okay. starting to become yeah. more popular here in this city um, and one, one of the weird trends, one weird trends we've been trying to sort of stop people from doing is there's been a lot more intranasal, uh, use of MDMA. Okay. So some people choose that. Internasal use of MDMA. Yes. Yeah. And that's, in my opinion, that's not really the way MDMA should be taken. Yeah. You got a, you got a bit more of a rush right off the bat. Excuse me. But, um, the sort of, when it comes to the, the neurochemical effects of MDMA, you don't want to be taking multiple dosages during the night. You want right. To take one dose, like in, in a perfect world, you should be only taking one dose of your MDMA for the whole entire night. Right. And that's just because of how it kind of, the receptors work in your brain. Your, your, the one, your first dose will give you the biggest squeeze of serotonin into, yep. your, into your brain. And after that, it starts, it slowly decreases how much serotonin is being released. And then eventually your brain doesn't have any more serotonin anymore. So it uses dopamine to fill in those serotonin receptors. And then that causes a lot of neurotoxic effects. So yeah. I'm not sure if you ever heard of anyone who's like taken a high dose, a couple high dosages of MDMA. And then towards the end of the night, they start getting hallucinations. Yeah. So, I've, I've heard of one or two of those. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So once you start seeing those hallucinations with MDMA, that's when your body has converted the MDMA to MDA and MDMA is about, I think it's like 10 times more neurotoxic. Like it has a lot more, like people take MDA just, for the effects yeah it's a, more, it's a lot more visual but once you start seeing those visual effects when it comes to mdma and that's the not so much the wavy lines but like the distinct hallucinations that yeah. start hit, hitting the neurotoxic ranges and that ha- that happens either with high dosages of mdma or multiple dosages taken over a night right so when it comes to people who take it internasally they're taking these small bumps throughout the night and they're getting a lot more of a hallucinogenic effect but at the same time they're like the neurotoxic effects are spiking quite significantly yeah and that's one thing we've been trying to try to teach people it's like no like that like it's actually more fun to be taking it orally like you get more you get more sort of it's sort of um you get the full trip experience like you get the come up you get yeah the peak, and then you kind of get the slow decrease and then you have that yeah the full plot line it's right exactly, yeah, exactly. yeah. When people take these bumps like they're just trying to get that peak over and over again when you chase that high that's when the that's when the biggest sort of risks start happening and anyone who's ever consumed cocaine before knows like that they that's one of the issues because people just constantly chase that yeah peak yeah the whole entire night the dragon right uh before we sign off do you want to tell like people where they can maybe find you guys next yeah, or where they can find sure, you online sure. yeah so i finding us online you can add us on facebook under project safe audience we have uh that's where we kind of announce all of our events that we're going to and all the sort of new um presentations that we're going to be doing okay awesome thank you so much bryce it was great Thanks for